Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host, Saturday Down South. Joined today by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. As usual, there will finally be basketball. Florida is unpaused from its COVID pause that caused uh, the opening games to be canceled. Um, the Oklahoma game, which was to be played Wednesday, will now be part of the 2021 season. Florida will play in Norman next year. Obviously, Florida doesn't get a chance to play UMass Lowell, who turned out to be pretty good, uh, or Virginia, who turned out to lose to San Francisco. Um, those games canceled due to the COVID pause. We will preview Florida's first two opponents on tonight's show uh, or recording um, on Monday night. Uh, we will preview Florida's Wednesday game against Army and their Thursday night game against Boston College. Those game times, 2.30 p.m. Uh, on ESPN2, Wednesday against Army, 9.30 p.m. Thursday night uh, against Boston College. We hope that you enjoy the previews, and we hope you're as excited as we are for Gator basketball. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, college basketball season has started, my friend, although uh, not without some some COVID zaniness. No, the uh, the college basketball season has not exploded out of the gates. It has uh, stumbled <laughs> and uh, fell and kind of gotten back up and started to roll, but uh, Man, I, I had a UMass Lowell preview written up that it was just, you know, let me say some of my finest work. And then an Oklahoma <laughs> preview that I was uh, that I was fairly proud of. And, you know, those don't see the light of day. But, hey, I, I am not complaining. Um, I uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's far, far worse things going on than, you know, me writing uh, uh, me writing previews that don't get to see the light of day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, hesitantly excited for Florida basketball to start. I just hope they can get some games in before uh, before something else worse happens with uh, the college basketball community at large. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. But keep that UMass Lowell uh, preview in your computer for that 413 matchup in, in the Indianapolis bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know when you might have to bust that thing, that thing back out. Um, and, and we did get the chestnut from Bill Walton today at the Maui Invitational in Asheville, you know, cause <laughs> that's life in 2020. Uh, Bill Walton live on a video stream, not actually in Nashville saying, I love Asheville. It's my favorite city. I love camping and I love being alive. So, you know, Bill Walton, he's, he's rolling with the punches. Why can't we? Right. <laughs> that's true and there, there has been some great basketball already uh and that's one thing about college basketball it's like man it does it just never disappoints i mean there's some times where you watch nfl on sunday and it's like man there are some there are some duds you watch some uh you watch some nfl playoff games you watch some nba playoff series like sometimes there's there's some duds man but like Every day in college basketball, there, there's good games. That's something that makes the sport what it is, makes the sport so good. And even though there's been so many cancellations, so many changes, uh, man, every day that there's been college basketball on, uh, there's been awesome content, awesome stuff to watch on TV. Um, I'm just so happy the Gators are going to be part of it because, man, watching good basketball and having the Gators uh, be kind of watching from the sideline, it, it was killing me a little bit, man. I was watching some great basketball, and all I wanted to do was was flip over to a Gators game. So, uh, uh 
uh, just, yeah, very, very excited to see them on the court. Yeah, no, me too, man. I, and, and as much fun as it is to watch like Iona, uh, Seton hall with Rick Pitino coaching, uh, Iona against Kevin Willard. Um, you know, it, it's going to be good to, to see the Gators involved again, as much fun as it is to watch the Maui invitational occur on a mountain in the East coast. <laughs> It will still be more fun to see uh, see Florida do things. So that's kind of where where I'm at as well. I'm ready to see some basketball. And the good news is, after multiple hiccups and head and uh, false starts, Florida will take the court on Wednesday at two thirty on ESPN two. They will take on uh, the Army Black Knights uh, out of the Patriot League. Uh, but but before we dive into Army, which I know I know people want us to get into to the undefeated Black Knights, and I know everybody's been watching what Army basketball has been doing very closely in the last week. Um, you know, let, let's reset the shot clock for a second, if you will, Eric, and and kind of what are some things that that you're looking at, starting with, you know, maybe question one, uh, the point guard position. You wrote an article at Gator Country today. I think our listeners know a long time in the making. You've made your peace with the false narrative that is assisted turnover ratio, haven't you? I, I hope so. I hope my manifesto of my dislike of the assisted turnover ratio uh, statistic is is all laid out with uh, with no regrets and and no stone unturned. But uh, yeah, it's just quite frankly a stat that I'm not fond of. Um, I think is very misleading. And I wrote about it all at Gator Country, and uh, it, it's it's just related to the fact that. Looking at turnovers, um, a stat with multiple inputs, with with charges, uh, with getting the ball stolen when when dribbling uh, versus passing, and then you compare it to assists, which is uh, you know a, a passing stat. And then you also look at the fact that that passing is a stat where if so if a player does his job exactly, collapses the defense, finds an open man for a wide open three, and he misses it, that the the player is not not credited with an assist. So uh, I went into a lot of, a lot of those elements. Um, and, and really my, my biggest thing, Neil, that I, I think came across in the article, and I'd love to reiterate it here is assist to turnover ratio treats a turnover, uh, as if it has the same negative value as an assist has positive value. And that is not the case because an assist is inherently a two point or a three point basket put on the board for your team and a turnover is not negative two points or not negative three points. It's one possession to to your opponent, which oftentimes, even if it's a transition opportunity, is going to be worth 1.1 points possession. Uh, it, and that's only if they get a fast break off, off this turnover. So so again, I one, uh, one thing I laid out in, in the article was if a player had three assists and one turnover, that would be a really good assist to turnover ratio. That would make a lot of coaches really happy. Low turnovers, that's awesome. Uh, and then if there was another player, and this is the Tyree Appleby stat line, he put up a lot of these at Cleveland State of six six assists and four turnovers. That is not as good of an assist to turnover ratio, 1.5. But if you actually look at it, six assists is probably going to be closer to 14 points, uh, whereas this, the four assists is actually probably going to be a negative of like 4.4 points. So when you look at um, the value of six assists versus four turnovers, that's actually going to be like, 
plus eight or nine points for your team. And the player who played hesitantly was scared to turn the ball over uh, and didn't make as many plays. If he has three assists and one turnover, he's only going to be netting, you know, plus plus four or five points for his team. So uh, th- there is a lot of value in being able to create shots for your teammates. That That is what basketball is, is all about. about. The game of basketball is creating advantage opportunities and creating open shots. It's the hardest skill to do in basketball is creating open shots. So if a player can can create a high number of open shots and therefore get a high number of, of assists and their turnovers are a little bit high, uh, that is more valuable than a player who does not create as many assist opportunities but turns the ball over less. So um, I, I, I know I'm ranting here. I'd love, if, if anyone's intrigued by it, I'd love for you to read my piece of Gator Country. Um, it, it lays it out a lot better than I can, uh, can, can speak out right now. But yeah, obviously something I'm, I'm more passionate about than I should be. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting and it's, it is one of these statistics that's kind of gotten overemphasized over the years and as analytics have evolved, it, it, it's kind of stuck around maybe longer than it should have kind of like wins in baseball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, although, although not nearly as extreme, uh, extremely ridiculous as, as wins, but, that's the one that sticks out as something that's kind of stuck around past its usefulness. Um, you know, it's useful. It's not as useful as, as some other analytics, but it is interesting in the context of the discussion around Florida's point guards, because this is really the first season in the white era where we don't know necessarily who the point guard is going to be or who's going to emerge as the primary point guard entering the season, which isn't to say that Florida doesn't have, options at the position i think they have good ones it's just you know who won that battle in camp we think it's trey man but but it'll be interesting to see wednesday won't it it really will i mean the, the moment they uh they announce the uh the starting lineup that'll be <laughs> that'll be really when the games kind of begin i think we all want to know I, I think it'd be hilarious if he pulled a, you know, maybe pulled a Dan Mullen, didn't release the depth chart until like right before the game or uh, <laughs> maybe trolled a little bit and put like Noah Locke as the starting point guard. Uh, there, there are options there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that when when you just look at uh, ever since Casey Hill graduated, uh, there was Chris Chioza and no one ever really thought that Eric Hester was going to push him for minutes. And when Michael O'Caro came, no one ever really thought Michael O'Caro was going to push him for minutes. And then when Andrew Nemhart came, uh, came on campus, it was like, okay, he's probably the starter, but Hey, let, let, let's see what Michael Ocaro does. Let's, let's see how he can push him. And I mean, it was pretty quick into the season when you realize Michael Ocaro is, is not going to push Andrew Nemhart for minutes. So he was the unquestioned starter. And then you say, oh, well, you know, maybe Trey Mann is someone that they that they want to use at the point guard position. But I mean, when you looked at the the way that the roster shook out where Florida had so few wings, it was pretty clear that Trey Mann was going to be getting his minutes, you, you know, at the wing spots. So w- once again, you knew exactly who's going to be the starting point guard. So, yeah, this is this is four straight seasons where Florida has had an unquestioned starting point guard, which in a lot of ways is is, is awesome. You kind of do want to have a point guard that is unquestionably your starter. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, man, it would be nice if, if they knew that if they're not playing well, that there's someone behind them pushing them. And that just simply hasn't been the case these last couple of years. Yeah, no, it, it really hasn't. And so, you know, I think that's, that's kind of question one. I think, uh, when we dive into question two, before you, you really talk, you know, army, uh, for me, question two, I think is, is how fast is, is Florida really going to play? 
Oh man, I, I I love Mike White's boldness. I really do. Not 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 saying it was bold to say the team should play fast, but I I do love that he's doubled down on it. He has tripled down on it. He has quadrupled down on it. Like saying uh, we are going to play fast this year, and it would be very easy for him, especially knowing the pressure that that fans and media have put on him, for him to maybe walk it back and be like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to play a little bit faster, but we've got to see exactly how this team gels together. We need to look at the teams on our schedule. It, it, it would have been totally fair for him to do that, but instead, yeah, he's he's kind of he's went all in. He's doubled down. He's pushed his chips to the middle of the table and said, uh, yeah, we're pushing it. We're playing fast. So. Uh, I guess we've got to uh, we've got to just kind of wait until the balls rolled out there and 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 see. I mean, uh, I I know when we did our uh, you know we did our over unders before we talked where we thought Florida would be in tempo. Uh, you and me weren't totally drinking the Kool Aid to the point where we thought they'd be one of the fastest teams in the high major ranks. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things that. You, we well, and we we've seen them talk about uh, wanting to play fast in, in past seasons, and as soon as the season starts, something different happens. So I think that's kind of fair to have a little bit of, of skepticism. And uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting with Army because you know Army's a team that wants to play really fast. So uh, even in that first game when when Florida plays Army, it could very well they they could be going up and down the court. Army might be totally obliging, uh, but it will be some of these other games against uh, you know high major opponents, some teams that want to slow it down, and and then we can really see how how dedicated florida is yeah no i look i think it's going to be it's going to be interesting and and we'll get into why army is kind of an intriguing uh opener from a from a tempo standpoint i think in a in a little bit um but you know when you've had years where you've been into 300s in tempo you know (laughs) i don't i don't even think like florida has to necessarily go that much faster for like just the eyeball test to say Ah, they've sped things up. Well, I mean, and that's what's, uh, again, interesting about the way that Mike White has approached this because he could he could have very well said, hey, um, you know, we were in the you know mid 200s in terms of offensive possession length. Not that he necessarily needs to use the exact stat, but just say, you know, we are one of the slowest teams. Um, we're looking to we're looking to definitely make a big improvement from that. He, he could have said that and that would have been like, OK, that's. Um, uh, they're definitely trying to play faster. Uh, but instead, you know, he, like he said, he said, we're going, I, I, I'm not saying it verbatim. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said, we are going to be, um, I forget what is, but it's like amongst the biggest jumps in, in tempo of any team in the country. And, um, as fast as any team in the country he's, he's mentioned. <laughs> so like, uh, man, I mean, like w- once again, that they're, they're going all in. So he's, he's got to have some, some confidence, but, uh, y- you know what I really do want to see Neil is it, it's, it's one thing to say like, Hey, when we get the ball, we want to push the ball up the floor and and hopefully you know get a layup out of it by by having you know two or three or four guys sprinting down the floor as fast as they can. I'm really interested if that's how they're going to play fast, or I'm interested if they are going to run early offense because you know there are some teams that and, and I would say Louisiana Tech was largely like this where they had guys with great energy and great speed, so they got a defensive rebound and guys ran. They they ran and they ran faster than their opponents and they got layups because of it. But when you look at the teams that are really good in at playing fast, like like a Gonzaga, who oh my goodness, um, soaring up and down the court, Andrew Nemhart just flying up and down the court and pushing the ball with insane pace. Um, they they don't just 
they don't just run, they run early offense. So when I see, when I, you know, when I hear Florida wants to play faster, I want to know, or are they just going to try to run fast? Or are they going to run pistol actions? Are they going to go for drag screens and double drag screens? Are, are they going to run wide action? Like I, I, I want to know, are they, I want to know exactly how the, how are they going to play fast? Because they're they're You can call plays to, to run in transition. And um, that's what I see the best transition teams doing in, in college basketball. So uh, that's, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And you know what I'm interested in, um, in terms of, of their pace of play is I, I think to some extent that their pace of play dictates their front court rotation. Um, and, and I think to me, like Kavarius Hayes moved pretty darn well. I think we can all agree about that. Now he might not have necessarily, um, (laughs) brought a ton of, of, offensive skill uh to the table although you and i uh, you know i think we did a whole podcast maybe multiple podcasts on how he was a pretty efficient offensive player as a senior um even though everyone complained about him uh not everyone but a lot of people uh you know i think i think to me it really seems like the guy that maybe doesn't fit that mold is jason detobo Whereas Colin Castleton, I think, is maybe a better fit than people realize um, because he is actually pretty darn athletic uh, and is probably a bit of better rebounder than Omar Payne. Um, and then, obviously, you have Omar Payne, who's the natural rim runner. It's just, you know, what does his defense look like? We know how lost he got in pick and roll. Does he get lost in transition? Those sorts of questions. You iron those things out traditionally in a normal non-conference schedule – this year's anything but normal. So maybe tempo has something to do with front court rotation, at least early in the season, if that makes sense. Hey, and if you want to play fast, you've got to get a defensive rebound. And then the player who gets the defensive rebound needs to outlet the ball to one of your guards. So, you know, we've talked about the fact that Omar Payne doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily have the best defensive rebounding numbers. At least he didn't last year. And Colin Castleton had much better defensive rebounding numbers. So, you know, you need to get the ball to be able to you need to get a defensive rebound. You need to end that offensive possession for your opponent so you can start to run out. So the player who defensively rebounds best at the five position could very well be the player that fits into playing fast better. And if one of them is a better outlet passer, um, that's huge, too, because if a player is not confident um getting the ball and and making a a pass right on the money to trey man or tyree appleby or whoever you want your primary ball handler to be in transition uh that slows you down too so uh it, yeah it's a great point neil because uh i, I you know you could look at who's going to be the, the the you know the rim runner necessarily it could be uh you know i, I again like i've been watching uh yeah you know you watch michigan state through these last years and they had some you know not fast bigs that are pretty chunky and they just run down the straight, you know, a straight line from one hoop down, down the court yep. to the other. And then they seal a guy on their hip and then uh, Cassius Winston throws the ball over the top and they've got a great position and uh, they finish. And I mean, that really could be Jason Jatobo. I mean, sometimes you do want a big that can just sprint and beat the other team down the floor. Like, uh, you know, drew Timmy at, uh, at Gonzaga, but, uh, but yeah, I mean the, the big man who's not necessarily fast, but can run in a straight line and seal his man that could work. But yeah, I think we've got to see who can rebound the ball and who can make an outlet pass at the five position. Yep. And you know, so, so I, I think look, looking at that in these first two games and, and front court rotations, uh, extremely interesting to me, obviously the, the point guard scenario, the how fast 
Um, also worth noting that Florida's going to be playing on back-to-back days coming off a COVID break. You know, how frenetic does Mike White really want to get in Bubbleville? Uh, is it something that Florida will kind of build its way into? What does Florida's rotation look like? Obviously, everybody's healthy um, from what I understand. Uh, so that's good. But you're still, you know, where you weren't practicing for a couple days. Just got back into the gym this weekend. And now you're playing back-to-back. Uh, not necessarily always a recipe for for going super fast, although certainly we've seen teams that play at a high tempo do it because they're used to doing it in practice. Just some of these things are kind of things to look out for and, and watch for. One thing that was interesting, and you already spoke about Mike White's boldness, kind of stole my thunder on this point, was that you know if Florida chooses to play this tempo, maybe for some of our listeners that that weren't with us some over the summer that just tuned back in. You know, there are inherent risks to playing that fast at the power six level, aren't there? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think so. And I think you, uh, it's something I've outlined in a, a number of articles, and it's something we've talked about a number of times on this podcast that uh, there are fewer teams that play fast than, than you think. I mean, again, you look at any coach's press conference, it seems like every coach in the offseason says, hey, we're looking to play fast this year. We're looking to, we're looking to get out and run. Um, and Jordan Sperber, uh, Hoop Vision 68, one of the best honestly maybe the best person at covering the x and o's in basketball right now a great follow uh he uh he put together before last season he put together this uh this montage of coaches in the off season saying like hey yeah we're gonna get out and run and uh then uh which was hilarious in the moment because there was like a hundred of these coaches and then he did an article later in the uh <laughs> later in the uh uh the season and it was it looked at all these coaches that would said hey we're gonna get out and run we're gonna play fast and then he showed that like five percent of them did and he actually didn't even mention florida so that number could have been could have been higher uh but uh yeah it's just uh, every coach says it but very very few do and uh, again it's tough at the high major level to to consistently run for for so many reasons because uh man when you're playing against the athletes at the high major level and they're trying to pound the offensive glass it's tough to have guys leak out and get out to run uh neil you mentioned uh the the fatigue factor and uh you can look at that as you know you play two and two nights or or three and four nights that's tough but even hey if you're playing a, a physical sec opponent and it's five minutes left in the second half like man just being dedicated to sprinting down the floor every time that's tough and then you also look at the fact that for so many coaches their appetite for turning the ball over is is so low and they they scream hey like push 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 and they want to play fast but then the moment the, the moment they turn the ball over they're screaming even louder how how did you why'd you turn the ball over and it's like well you can't you you, you got to kind of pick your poison and and uh, that's part that's the kind of the price of poker if you're going to pay play fast you have to be okay with some turnovers and uh, uh again there's just there's a there's a myriad of reasons why playing fast is traditionally not been super super effective at the high major level outside of the the best teams your your North Carolinas your Michigan States your Gonzagas so uh, yeah this will be really interesting to uh, to see with <laughs> how Florida kind of uh, enters that mix yeah and it will and I should say that you know there are at least some analysts who think Florida has that kind of talent like that their personnel suits that kind of game and that this is absolutely what they should do and it's it sounds like at least that the first glance of the of Mike White and his staff is that they agree with that, but we, we will find out. And it's it's just hard to I think it's going to be difficult to make snapshot evaluations of it in two games in a bubble where where Florida presumably flies up 
uh, tonight or tomorrow and they're in the bubble, go through the COVID protocols, get a shoot around and basically play. I mean, we're all thrilled to see him play, but, but I'm, I'm not saying don't take too much from these two games, obviously in a limited non-conference slate, you know, put a lot in the wins and losses, Eric, but maybe don't make too many dramatic evaluations about what this Florida team is going to be stylistically. Is that fair? <laughs> that is totally fair. And you, you know what? Like if I, I know some people would just kill Mike white for this and it would suck, but uh, again, Florida was a pretty good offensive team last year, even though I don't think many people realized it. Uh, not <laughs> listeners to this show. We have in, uh, everyone listening to this podcast is an intelligent basketball fan. But so many people, I mean, they were if you t- just he- hear the way they talked about Florida's offense, they would have thought they were like 100th in the country in offense. And they were 27th. Like, that's pretty darn good. So, uh, and they did it playing, you know, a, a slower paced tempo. So, again, if it turns out that this team, if, if, milking the clock and playing slow is, is the best way for them to score. I hope they do it. And, and I know some people are going to, you know, kill Mike white for being like, Oh, look, he's not running again. But uh, again, I just, yeah, you may, maybe you, once you see this team on the floor, maybe, maybe things change. And you know what? Like the, the, the laziest basketball analysis of the last little while was, well, first of all, it was um, Olivier Saar is, is, uh, is another Reed Travis. That one's, uh, that one's pretty stupid. Um, but the other one was people who looked at Florida's you know, problems and said, oh, they're not reaching their potential because they don't play fast. That was yeah. so many. And, and there's, you know, there's outlets I, I love. There's some writers that I think are really good. Our, our guys at Three Man Weave, they, that's yeah. kind of been a trope at their, their podcast is like, oh, you know, Florida would have been a Final Four team if, if they played fast. And it's like, no, it's it's not it's not that simple at all and uh, uh again if, if florida goes and, and and plays really well in these early season games and they they they're not just pushing the ball up every time and and they are playing methodically but they're playing great half court basketball and, and are efficient i i just hope people you know have some patience yep with you and and the patience and uh the season uh start Wednesday, 2.30 p.m., ESPN2 against uh, Army West Point, uh, the United States Military Academy, kind of a, a proud basketball program. They've never been to the NCAA tournament, so you ask how could they be a proud basketball program? Well, um, some of the, the coaches that have been there uh, give you an idea of, of how it's certainly kind of a – not kind of. It's an honor to, to coach at that, at that um, academic institution. And it certainly has been an honor to, to some of the people that have graced the sideline there from, from Bob Knight and Mike Krzyzewski, most notably, um, to uh, Dino Gaudio, who a lot of us uh, in basketball circles have a lot of respect for, who was a longtime assistant to Skip Prosser, uh, the great Wake Forest coach that left us way too soon, uh, to Jimmy Allen, who's actually their current coach, who is actually the most successful Army head coach from a wins and losses standpoint since um, Mike Krzyzewski, which I think is pretty fascinating. Uh, and, and that's not to say that like Army has been gangbusters, but they've been respectable in a league that I think we all, basketball people, all respect, right? Like We all respect the Patriot League. Uh, we've seen them win games in March enough to know that you have to respect that league. Army finished fifth in that league, fourth in that league last year, and then lost a semifinal in the conference tournament. That was one of the conference tournaments that got played. They're 3-0 and this year, and the eye-opener, I thought, Eric, was that they beat Buffalo 
uh, the other day. And, and that's a Buffalo team that a lot of people kind of pick to finish, you know, high in the Mac and a team that's, and a program that's won a whole lot of basketball games the last few years. Yeah. I don't know what the line was on that game, but I'm guessing it's uh, it wasn't really close and I'm, th- that would have been a big upset, but uh, man, army got it done. And something you mentioned about the Patriot league is uh, I, I don't feel like it gets uh, like, like, again, you might look at the Patriot League and say, oh, there's not a lot of great teams. But when you look at the last like 20 years of basketball, they, there's a bunch of teams that have had like small, you know, three, four windows where they were super dominant, like uh, like Bucknell. You might not be like, oh, yeah, Bucknell's a great team right now. But like, you know, in the in the tw- 2000, like four to 2008, uh, they were really, really good. And then like, you know, Loyola, Maryland, and um, they they had a stretch where they were really good. Lehigh had a number of, of years where they dominated that league. And and now Colgate's kind of the team that's that's kept stringing together really good, uh, really good seasons. And they go keep going to the dance. So yeah, it's like all these teams are not great all at once, it seems, but it just seems like there's, um, there's one team from that league every year that seems to be really good, gets that auto bid and just, you know, keeps a team like army out, which is, Super unfortunate, you know, even Holy Cross, you know, our guy, man, our, our guy, Brett Nelson, he's got his work cut out for him. His, uh, his roster is looking rough this year at Holy Cross, but, uh, man, there was a time where Holy Cross was, was very relevant in, in, in basketball. So yeah, tough, tough, tough for, uh, tough for army out here. There's, there's no question, but, uh, but yeah, I, in Buffalo, you, you went, what I feel like you, you really saw was their ability to score the basketball, um, especially their ability to get to the rim. Uh, I was, I went and watched, uh, watched about a half of it. And, uh, one thing that just struck me was like, Oh my goodness, they're getting to the rim at, at will. And then, uh, looking at the box score, they, I think they shot 70% on, on two point shots, um, which, uh, is, is crazy. And, and yeah, it was so much just like, swinging the ball side to side, moving the defense, waiting for them to, uh, to let up for just a moment. And, and th- then they got a drive off of it. And, and when, it, when, uh, what I, what I like too is when a player got a drive, it wasn't four players spotting up at the three point line, hoping for a catch and shoot attempt. Guys were cutting off it. They were looking for easy buckets and, and they got them. So, uh, that, yeah, that'll be, uh, that was definitely my, my takeaway from my, <laughs> my half of basketball watching army. Yeah, well, you know, let me back up just a second because I want to have some fun with the Patriot League. I mean, this is a league uh, that I love the Patriot League. I got to be honest. It's one of the, like, conference tournaments that starts off tournament week that I, like, geek out about because there really is, like they're, like Eric alluded to it, there are several proud programs in that league, and, and it was kind of a big deal when Army joined because, you know, academically, it was a good fit, and they they were looking for a league where they could maintain their independent status in football, um, and and you know fit in uh, across the board in other sports, and and this just made sense because of the coaching history that and the respect that people have for Army as a basketball program, but it's also like I mean they've had multiple All Americans that have played in this league. From uh, there was a Colgate big named Donald Foyle who was a dominant player, uh, a two-time All-American. Uh, Bucknell had a dude, uh, Mike Muscala, who was just dominant, pretty much uh, single-handedly eliminated uh, somebody really good from the NCAA tournament. Can't remember if it was Duke or Kansas in, in any event. Uh, C.J. McCollum, uh, you might have heard of him, Eric. <laughs> uh, All-American from Lehigh, two-time Patriot League Player of the Year. Uh, Rapala Savaniskis, a uh, guy Eric and I talked about on the early days of Florida Basketball Hour, was uh, Patriot League Player of the Year at Colgate. 
So, you know, th there's and, and an honorable mention, All-American. Uh, so there, there have been some dudes that have played in that league. Does Army have some dudes, you might be asking? Um, yeah, not really. Like, they return three starters, okay, uh, from, from last year's team. Um, they add uh, a kid named Jalen Rucker who uh, can really shoot. Uh, and played at their prep school so that he could qualify academically. He could have gone a bunch of different places and really wanted to play uh, for Jimmy Allen at Army. So he went to MAPS, which is the, the Army prep school, and, and played there. Um, and, you know, like I said, kind of a big-time shooter. Uh, Josh Caldwell is the guy that, that one of their, their returning starters that, that really hurt Buffalo. Uh, but that was kind of an, an aberration. He's not like a big-time offensive player. I think their best offensive player generally, at least if you look at statistics, is, is this guy, Lonnie Grayson, who's really kind of an undersized guard um, that, that can really shoot. He's about a 36% career three-point shooter. They shoot a lot of threes. I was impressed that they like hardly made any threes against Buffalo and won anyway because they, they have some guys that can penetrate uh, including Josh Caldwell and and Jalen Rucker, who I've mentioned, and and Rucker was good at like passing when he got in the lane, but Caldwell was like good getting the foul line, and and they shot way more free throws in Buffalo, which is kind of why they won. Yeah, like I said about their offense, that's I I just feel like it's always very interesting to see the teams that have high two point percentage. It's the reason why, why LSU has been so, so good offensively these last couple of years is because they get so many high percentage shots around yep. the rim. And, uh, with army, it's uh, what, what is pretty interesting too, is for most of the game, uh, against Buffalo and, and looking at their lineup data, uh, for most of the time they have three guards on the floor who are six, two and under and, uh, playing the small forward is, is Josh Caldwell. who you mentioned who's like six foot two and, and he had 10 rebounds against Buffalo, uh, right. which led me to look at a bunch of his uh his game logs from uh, the past couple of seasons and he's had like multiple 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 games where he's had seven or eight or nine or ten rebounds at at six two and 180 pounds and um i think that's awesome but you know neil you were you asked uh or you theorize oh do they do they have a guy and it's man it's 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 definitely reinforcing a stereotype but if i said to someone who doesn't know anything about college basketball how do you think army plays basketball they'd probably say well, they play structured, they play tough, and they play unselfishly. And man, when I was watching Army play that <laughs> against Buffalo, that's exactly how they played. They they shared the ball, they were super unselfish, and they didn't waste motion. You know, sometimes you watch college basketball and, and guys are dribbling for the sake of dribbling and probing for, for the sake of probing. And uh, man, just watching Army, there's there's no wasted movement. They they moved the ball with purpose and uh, and they shared it. It was totally unselfish. And uh, that's something that really struck me. It was very aesthetically pleasing to play. And uh, I think that's how they got the best out of, out of their talent. They, they didn't surround the, they didn't give their most talented player the ball and give him a spread ball screen and, and try to uh, space it around him. They, uh, they moved the ball and, and tried to try to get the defense to crack. And uh, yeah, that's, that's just, it, it's just funny because it's like, man, that's like totally the stereotype of what someone would think about <laughs> army playing basketball. Uh, but, but it really is true. They, they play smart, they play structured and uh, uh, they play for each other. Yeah. Josh Caldwell has four career double doubles. And when you're six, two, uh, and your four career double doubles are all points and rebounds. It gives you an idea of how 
how strong a uh, rebounder he is. The, the, they do have one guy that really intrigues me. I'm not saying that he's like even a professional European prospect, although maybe he is because of how well he shoots. Is their their kind of lone front court guy, Alex King, who who plays center more or less, but is really a stretch four, and um, he's a 36.7 percent uh, career three point shooter, um, and hit a huge three in the Buffalo game to kind of vanquish a big Buffalo run. And then to, to, to Eric's point, they're, they're so fundamentally strong uh, defensively. It, it really is kind of does play into the stereotype, but they held Buffalo scoreless the last four and a half minutes of the game. So um, I'm sure Gators fans will have a chance to throw something at the TV if, if Buffalo rattles off four minutes of stops against Florida. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's how they closed out the game. And, and I'll tell you what, in – in um, two of their three wins, they've had four players uh, in double digits. So, you know, they really do get get help from everybody. Yeah, and uh, one thing defensively as well, going back to Josh Caldwell, is uh, he's uh, uh, last, or I guess, sorry. Yeah, last season, he was 152nd in the country in steal percentage, and he had three steals against uh, against Buffalo. And uh, that'll be something really interesting to watch because, uh, again, yeah, so they were, they were they usually had a 5'10 point guard, a 6'2 um, guard, and then 6'2 Josh Caldwell playing the three. So, uh, man, if, if, you know, if we, if Florida's starting lineup is, is kind of what we think it might be, uh, Scotty Lewis playing at the three, uh, man, his, uh, his ball handling is about to get tested because uh, Josh Caldwell, he's going to be, he's going to be smelling blood and, and looking to pick the ball from him in, at, at any moment. Uh, but as a team, one thing that's, uh, uh, worth noting is Army plays, you know, 100% man defense. Looking back at the last couple of seasons, they are just man defense through and through. And uh, again, you never know when you're when you're playing a, a low major or mid major opponent, kind of early in the season. Uh, sometimes you run into a mid major team that they run just novelty zones and uh, and kind of throw some junk at you. And uh, you know, that's maybe not always the most helpful thing for, you know, I don't, I don't want to treat this. I want to have some respect for armies and opponents. I don't want to treat this like it's an exhibition for the Gators, but you know, in their first game of the season, they're probably looking to get their feet wet, get their rhythm and uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, equate themselves to the college basketball season and uh, doing that can kind of be tough when teams are throwing triangle and two and, and amoebas zones at you. But uh, it, it is kind of nice that they're going to know with, you know, 99.9% certainty, they're going to see 99.9% man defense from army and they, uh, they should be ready. So w- once again, Neil, when you and me are talking about, Hey, what are we looking for uh, on opening night uh, or afternoon? I should say, um, Opening afternoon, uh, what, how is Florida's offense going to look, and and how are they going to look playing in transition? It's like, well, you you know what Army's going to do? They're going to play man. So if, if Florida's not ready for it, then that'll be like, oh, that's uh, that's not going to be pleasant. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking for them to be very prepared offensively. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And and you know, last point I'll make about them is is they are, uh, you know, it's not just defense where where it's fundamental. Their ball movement is excellent. Um, you know, lots of assists in all three of their games. Uh, to Eric's point about the high two-point percentage, they had 50 points in the paint in their their opener against uh, the U.S. Merchant Marine, which is just huge. Now, granted, you know, obviously that's that's the Merchant Marine. It's a Division II opponent. But, uh, you know, they back that up by ball movement. So what does Central Connecticut do against them? They, they collapse into the paint to try to pack 
uh, pack it in against Army's penetration, and Army shoots 15 of 31 from three. Um, so, you know, move the ball, take the best shot. It's just kind of stuff. I, I think, to Eric's point, it's also a good test for Florida defensively, uh, you know, a team that really wants to hang its hat on running people off the three-point line. You know, Army will allow Florida to do that and attack the paint. So how does Florida react to that? Because Army is very good and smart at recognizing, you know, what you're going to do, what you're going to take away, and then, uh, you know, being content with, with doing both. As, and you're seeing that statistically. So a, a good challenge for Florida. Um, certainly a game that, that the Gators could lose if, if they don't play uh, well, but, but certainly one that they should uh, prevail in um, to, to open the season. Uh, yeah, that U.S. Merchant Marine, the uh, the the Mariners, as as Google tells me. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm looking. I, I'm on. I'm in a rabbit trail. Of, uh, Salty the Sea Eagle, their mascot, is hilarious. So I, I my, my my focus is gone. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it is cool, definitely, just to start with a game like uh, with Army. I know the Gators played Navy in uh, in Mike White's first season. Um, it's always cool to kind of spotlight programs like this. This is one of the things that makes college basketball great is that there's a team like Florida and there's yeah. a team like Army and they're they're both playing the same sport and uh, that they can meet on on a neutral floor with a bunch of other very diverse um, universities from from around the country. Uh, there there is something that's just like very much gets the um, I don't know the the purest college basketball fan in me. I uh, just loves matchups like this. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I know Billy Donovan really enjoyed uh, Florida's games with Navy in his tenure as well. The Gators uh, met Navy a couple times in his tenure. Also, uh, Florida played Air Force um, early in the Mike White tenure, and, and Mike White talked about what a thrill it was to play uh, such a such a fundamentally sound basketball team that just did everything, and and that his guys learned a lot from the experience and, and effort of Air Force. So I, I think kind of a good game for for the young players on Florida also because as Eric said they're they do play really smart they're not going to beat themselves and uh and you know that that's good that's a good way to to start your season is is go out and execute um what what you've been doing in practice the the game that follows it the following day a 9 30 p.m tip so a late tip uh but Florida will have the mothership they'll be on uh, ESPN proper so lots of eyeballs um, against a Boston College team that was picked to finish 15th in the ACC. I don't even think Eric and I mentioned them in our ACC preview. Um, but looks a lot better than that, actually, uh, at least through three games. Now, granted, uh, lost to St. Joe's. Who really knows? Or was it St. John's? St. John's. Okay, so lost to St. John's. Uh, not really sure what what St. John's is, um, but, but uh, beat Rhode Island um, and then played a really tight game that was a good game for 35, 36 minutes, really to the final media timeout, Eric, uh, with, with Villanova, which we all know is uh, kind of one, of one of the gold standards in the sport right now. So a good start for them, even though they're one and two, probably better than their record. And what strikes me about Boston College is that they lost three starters last year and yet are one of the oldest teams in college basketball. Oh man. 
Yeah, that's uh, you don't see that too often, and uh, it's funny they've they've got some age, and then man, it was a player I've just been super super impressed with is uh, Demar Langford, one of their freshmen. Uh, uh, he looks like an NBA player to me, uh, just physically the way he moves, athleticism. He's like a six foot five guard. He'll be uh, someone uh, I'll be watching for. Didn't play particularly well tonight against St. John's. This is uh, Monday we're recording, and that that game just uh, finished recently, and and uh, uh, Boston College couldn't guard anyone. Uh, their defense is certainly a problem we'll uh, we'll yeah. talk about that uh but yeah they've, they've got some dudes uh like, like you mentioned ex- experienced guys um makai ash and langford's and uh you know a name that uh people are going to remember from providence I, I believe he played against the gators a couple years ago when they played providence but uh uh yeah another team that um do they have a star no but you just look up and down their roster and uh, man, I, I would say this one thing that's a, a pretty good recipe to see if a team's going to be good is look at their rotation. And if when they go to the bench, they're, they're bringing, you know, juniors off the bench and not, you know, freshmen or sophomores, uh, there's probably a bet that you can probably bet that they're going to be at least, you know, pretty good. And, and they've got that luxury. They've, they've got some age, but, uh, uh, yeah, against, uh, against Villanova, they really showed that they could, the, that they could hang. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, um, it's interesting, like, so uh, DeMar Langford went to Brewster Academy, which Florida fans will be familiar with because of Matt Bonner uh, in New Hampshire. Um, a <laughs> little, little fun fact. Deep Michael into, Okaru. Yeah, deep into the Florida basketball <laughs> hour reads. Michael Okaru, uh, less less famously among among, <laughs> among Gator fans. Uh, DeMar Langford's big brother is, is uh, Ashton Langford. So got a pair of brothers. On the team, they are related. Uh, that's kind of fun. And then the guy that, you know, Eric talked about a guy that intrigued him. Let me talk about a guy that intrigued me. The guy that really intrigues me is Winston Tabs, who's a, a 6'2 guard, um, was a, a top 300, a consensus top 300 player, uh, not a consensus top 100 player by any stretch of the imagine, imagination, but was a really, really good scorer in, in high school who kind of burst onto the scene as a true freshman um, and averaged 14 points a game through, through 15 games of his freshman season. When he got hurt, Boston College was 10-5. and five. Uh, They would go down the stretch and finish 4-12 and 12 without him. Uh, and then he missed the whole year last year after having knee surgery. So he's back. Um, he was very, very good against Villanova has has been you know seems to be healthy and and it's kind of a problem I mean, he can he can get into the lane he can shoot a little bit uh not necessarily a dangerous three-point shooter but shoots it well enough to like keep a defense honest mainly he he's really great at getting into the lane and uh and and initiating contact and i think he gives jim christian's backcourt kind of uh, a dynamic option that it, it hasn't really had um, in the last couple seasons. Yeah, he does. And he was really getting it to, uh, to the wings that shoot a little better. Uh, Stefan Mitchell and CJ Felder, two guys that have shot the ball uh, really well through these, these first three games and, and kind of kept them in, in, in games. And uh, that's something that I did think was a little bit kind of funny about the way that they, uh, uh, the way that they played is yeah, their, their backcourt kind of struggled to shoot, but then their, their three, four guys have, have been really knocking it down. So, uh, you know, it's small sample size, three games into the season, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how that continues. But uh, a, a team that does also, you know, speaking of 
that does have some some decent size with uh especially if they do go uh if they do do go like CJ Felder and and Frederick Scott at the the 3-4 which they were doing that's 6-7 6-8 six, six, um and then if they uh if they uh, if they play Winston Tabs you know a good 6-2 190 at point guard uh, yeah. and then you know my, my guy who I'm really enjoying watching play to Bar Langford playing the two he's he's an athletic NBA body 6-5 so uh, some decent size to match up with the Gators but uh man they don't uh they don't guard, um, to put it to <laughs> put it lightly. And uh, um, w- I, you know, I went in before this podcast thinking um, I was, you know, going to mention for sure this zone they play. They play a lot of zone. They play this zone that's pretty popular in, in college basketball over the last couple of years, where it's it kind of morphs between a three-two zone and a two-three zone, um, depending on where the ball is on the floor. You see a lot of teams running it right now, uh, but you know it hasn't really worked great for them yet. And then it really didn't look didn't work out w- well for them tonight against St. John's. So we'll see if they stick to it. But but Jim Christian the last couple of years has, has played a lot of zone. Um, with Boston College, um, so I'm I'm guessing the Gators will see it a little bit, but uh, we'll we'll see how pre- again we'll see how prepared the Gators are for that. Again, if they play they play Army game one, and Army is presumably going to play 100 man. Then their second game is against Boston College, who's already played Villanova, Rhode Island, and St. John's, uh, and they've got this zone that can kind of really throw a curveball into things. Uh, it'll be interesting. So I could kind of see it going either way. Like Florida might just you know, pick it apart and, and shoot the lights out and have no problem with it because St. John's, who I don't think is a great offensive team, uh, just hung 97 points on them. Uh, but there's also a chance that we see like, Hey, you know, Villanova is a good offensive team and they struggled with the zone at times. So, uh, yeah, how Florida plays the zone is, is definitely the most interesting storyline to me. Yeah, I think it is. And, and how they do it while navigating like this, what strikes me about weird as weird about Boston college is watching the Villanova game. Like, Stefan Mitchell is an elite defender, right? <laughs> like, I mean, he's a fantastic defender. He's big. Uh, he, he's physical. He has quick feet. Uh, he was in the top 20 in the country in steals last year uh, at six foot eight, which <laughs> gives you a little bit of an idea about his, his quickness despite his size. Um, you don't usually see guys that are six eight in the top 20 nationally in steals, at least in college basketball, Eric. Um, you know, but but nobody else really defends much, um, and and that's kind of strange. Uh, you know, where do they stick Stefan Mitchell if they play if they play that zone, and and how does Florida move the ball to navigate things away from him, uh, and to kind of cycle action away from him? I'm sure that Jim Christian knows that teams want to do that, uh, but but it's certainly something that that they do. Um, that's kind of one thing that sticks out to me because we know that Boston College can score. Uh, pretty effectively from from what we saw in their first two games, three games. Yeah, no, that'll that'll be something. And again, uh, as much as they were just you know hemorrhaging points, uh, they were uh, you know they're able to score. And uh, again, a team that uh, w- just like we kind of talked about with uh, uh, with Army was a team that's been able to score without you know hitting a ton of threes. And that's again something that struck me looking at the numbers against St. John, looking at the way they play, uh, looking at the way that they were able to get high two per- high you know high percentage two point looks. They were able to score in the paint. Uh, and again, when we're like not entirely sure what Florida's interior defense might look like, I mean, we've got hope with a few options. You you never totally know. So if they're putting a lot of pressure on the rim, uh, we'll have to see how the Gators respond. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. You know, one thing that may hurt their defense, something we've talked about on the podcast, is that adjustment from from mid-major basketball to high-level basketball that 
They are a team with three grad transfers. They all come from mid-major programs. Uh, Ryder, Quinnipiac uh, is, is where Rich Kelly comes from. Um, I'm forgetting the, uh, the Ryder player. But, but <laughs> come on. Let me... Uh, somebody comes from Ryder. <laughs> excellent. Excellent podcasting here. It's good, <laughs> it's good when, you, when you take such solid notes. Boy, uh, you know, oh, Frederick Scott. Is a, is the mm. grad transfer from Ryder doesn't defend anybody swinging gate, you know maybe a little bit of a a little bit of a jump up in competition from what he was seeing at Ryder uh, night in night out to to trying to deal with with Villanova uh, or or even St John's or or certainly Florida. I think the Gators will be able to score against Boston College. Uh, can they can they consistently get enough stops? Uh, to put a team like this away. It's not a game Florida wants to lose from a resume standpoint. I don't think that this is a Boston College team that's going to be particularly competitive in the ACC. Uh, it's a huge game for Boston College, I would imagine. Um, you know, it's the seventh year of the Jim Christian era at Boston College. He's never been to the NCAA tournament. You have to wonder how much longer they're going to stick with him. You know, when I, when I look at Jim Christian, he's a guy that makes me laugh at, like, the mid-major Mike label, right? Like Mike White has won conference coach of the year in three conferences, has never had a losing season, and until last year had won 20 games every year at Florida. And the only reason he didn't win 20 games at Florida last year was because COVID-19 prevented him from getting win 20 against Georgia at the SEC tournament. So um, <laughs> Jim Christian has won a lot of basketball games at Kent State and Ohio. But when he departs the friendly waters of those leagues and coaches at places like TCU or Boston College, life is a lot harder for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was, if memory serves, uh, that was Mountain West TCU even. So that wasn't even a point. But hey, you know, this is the fact of the matter. Uh, You can't slice it any other way. The only way that Jim Christian can get to the NCAA tournament is when he has Florida assistant Jordan Mincy running his offense. Um, Two NCAA tournament bids with back with Kent State. They were both with uh, with Jordan Mincy on the roster. So uh, uh, Jordan Mincy, there's a guy who can uh, who knows Jim Christian basketball. And, you know, Jim Christian hasn't been able to win without without Jordan Mincy. So uh, will that continue on on Thursday? I, I, I just don't think so. I don't think he can. There's no way Jim Christian pulls a win over over Jordan Mincy. It just it just can't happen. No, I can't. The, Jordan Mincy is the godfather of Jim Christian NCAA tournament <laughs> appearances. And I just don't see mid-major Jim beating Mike White and Jordan Mincy. So, um, <laughs> calling someone mid-major anything is like as salty as we get on Florida Basketball Hour unless we're talking about a certain strong-ass team from the state of Louisiana. So, I mean, I, I would say <laughs> that that's like unnecessary saltiness, and I'm sure Jim Christian – is a really good guy. Uh, and, and I kind of like that he was just like, you know what? People think we stink anyway. Uh, and like, he basically reshuffled his roster a la Mike White. Like, they graduated multiple dudes last year, three guys, and three players transferred out. And like I said, now they're one of the 25 oldest teams in college basketball. <laughs> but, uh, you know, old doesn't necessarily mean good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, t- what a tough place to recruit to. Like, it's it's just funny because, I mean, you're in Boston. Um, but, man, Boston doesn't care about college sports. And uh, being in Boston, you're you're so close to so many good programs that everyone is recruiting, you know, your, your town, your city. So, uh, you know, I do feel for any Boston College fans out there where, uh, you, which I, you know, it's got to be tough to be a Boston College fan in Boston where, where people don't care about collegiate sports. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, as much as I, you know, I'm joking about Jim Christian not yeah. being great. I don't, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I don't know who the better option would be. I don't know exactly what, what, when there is a next guy, I don't, I don't know if it can be, it's not like, Oh, you get the next guy in town. He can turn this thing around. It's a, it's a tough job being in the ACC, being in Boston. It's rough, but man, Gators uh, probably will not show any sympathy. Joe Jones, <laughs> Joe Jones, Boston university, baby. Just go right down the street. That's who, that's who needs that job. The BU Terriers, the Patriot League. <laughs> let's let's bring it full circle. Um, so the, you know those are the games that that await the Gators. We will be back uh, after those games to to, to kind of recap it. Um, and we're not going to do a show in between because that's just a lot. Uh, and I, we don't need a whole podcast on on the Army game uh, unless something really weird happens. Um, so we'll be back after both these games, and then we'll talk about uh, the home opener versus the Stetson Hatters, who, I should point out, lost to Division II Emanuel College of Georgia uh, tonight. So the Gators, you know, they're going a different direction in their let's open the season at Florida State strategy from a couple years ago, aren't they? I don't think they would have expected uh, this kind of, uh, you know, th- this kind of an output from Stetson um, losing to the mighty division two lions of Emmanuel. But uh, uh, Hey, we'll, we'll see what they, uh, we'll see what they have in the tank when they get to take on the Gators. I should note that Emmanuel college apparently is a very proud bass fishing school. Uh, one of, one of the better bass fishing programs in the nation from their uh, athletic website. Um, just highly competitive division one, bad fishing. Bass fishing. <laughs> I said bad fishing, which sounds like like something in the X Games. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so you know, you know, hey, the the word on the street is that LSU won't schedule Emmanuel in 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 bass fishing. That's uh, that that's what I'm hearing. Cowards. I heard, you know, yeah, I heard they were gonna play them, and then a hurricane was coming up the coast of uh, Georgia, and they they told them that they had to move the game, the bass fishing, to Louisiana. Um, on account of the hurricane, and and so that was that was a thing that happened. Um, I, I can't confirm that story. A, a fish turned up, a local bass showed up at the the local fish market with a fifty dollar bill in its mouth, and uh, you know there's a there was a program that had to, that had questions to, to answer. <laughs> uh, this is. <laughs> We've gone down a dark hole. We really need yeah. basketball season to start. Oh man, do we ever! Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, We will be back uh, after Florida starts 2-0.